I'd like for you to take God's word with me once again this evening and turn to the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter 32. We're going to pick up this evening where we left off this morning. Exodus chapter 32. And you may remember this is the account given of when Moses came down off of the mountain after 40 days in the presence of God. And upon his descent, he finds a most disturbing sight. God's people, the chosen people of Israel, had been engaged in full-blown idolatry. They'd taken their earrings and cast them into a fire and made a golden calf and began to worship the calf as if that image could possibly be their God. We look this morning at how many people today, all through the world, throughout the world, are creating their own view and image and idea of God. And I want you to know that if that is you, then you are worshiping a false God, not the one true living God. If you're not willing to accept what God's Word gives us about who He is, then you have become just as guilty as God's people. We're going to look from verse 15 of Exodus 32. Reading from verse 15 down to the end of the chapter. We come to that very historic text in the middle of this chapter. We'll read it together in a moment, but let's begin in verse 15. And Moses turned and went down from the mount. And the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides. On the one side and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome. But the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh into the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee? that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them. And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people, that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go up before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it me, and then I cast it into the fire. And there came out this calf. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, 
put every man his sword by his side and go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. The children of Levi did according to the word of Moses and there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. For Moses had said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, even every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Therefore now go, lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. Let's bow our heads together in prayer and ask the Lord to help us. Rhoda, would you please help? That would be great. Father, we ask of thee tonight to help us as we open thy word tonight. Guide us by thy spirit in the truth of thy word. Help us now as we open thy word. Give us understanding, we pray. We ask of thee, Lord, to take away the scales, remove every distraction that we might be able this evening to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We ask thee to help us, Lord, for we need thee. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I bring your attention once again to that 26th verse, to that question that has been asked throughout the ages, who is on the Lord's side? There's a hymn we sing, who is on the Lord's side? And I wonder this evening, from the very beginning of this meeting, if I were to ask you that question tonight, what would be your answer? By the way, this is a question for every listening ear this evening. You might say, well, of course I'm on the Lord's side or else I wouldn't be here, right? wrong just 40 days before this they, these same people had declared twice in the matter of minutes all the words which the Lord has said will we do all that the Lord has said will we do and be obedient and 40 days later 40 days later here they are just 40 days before that they said we will serve the Lord we're on the Lord's side Forty days down the road, they've bowed the knee to a golden calf. I wonder this evening, are you really on the Lord's side? If you haven't learned by now that not everyone who calls himself a child of God is actually the Lord's, then you are in for a rude awakening. Not everybody that wears the badge of Christian is actually a Christian. And so therefore, this question tonight is for you. Each one beneath this tent, each one watching on the live stream, this question is very personal. Who 
is on the Lord's side. Now, this is a question for every listener, but especially for those who have gathered together beneath the name and banner of God's people, those who call themselves followers of God. Who is on the Lord's side? Now, it's an interesting thing. Notice he doesn't ask them, whose side are you on? Because in all actuality, it doesn't really matter whose side that you're on. If you're not on the Lord's side, it doesn't really matter. You're on the wrong side. It doesn't matter who you, who you align yourself with. If you are not on the Lord's side, you're on the wrong side. And believe me, there are many, many, many options today, aren't there? That's why the Lord Jesus spoke about a broad road and a narrow road. Because on the broad road, you have a lot of choices of religions and perhaps even denominations and personal paths. You can live any way you want to live and choose any path you want to choose. But the Lord's side, the Lord's way is a narrow way. And what Moses had just witnessed from those who called themselves the children of God was so disturbing that something had to be done. What did Moses do at the side of such licentiousness? What did Moses do when he rounded that corner of the mountain and there in front of them? He heard it before he saw it. It's interesting, as you look at this account, there are really three things that Moses did before addressing the people. And it's very interesting because I believe that if God is going to move us forward, if there's ever going to be any forward progress in the body of Christ, in the church of the living God, then there are three things that need to be dealt with. We find them in this text. The very first thing that he does, if you notice in this passage of Scripture, as Moses comes down in verse number 19, it came to pass as soon as he came nigh into the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing and Moses' anger waxed hot and he cast the tables out of his hands and broke them beneath the mount. Now this is interesting. He hadn't even been given the opportunity to bring this, these, these words of God to the people. And long before he could give them to the people, they had already broken them. And in casting forth these tablets on the ground, these, these commandments, these words that God himself had written on stone that he had made himself, Moses was signifying that these people had already broken the covenant. They were guilty. Can I tell you this evening, you may not like to hear it, but if God is going to clean up the church, if the church is going to be any different, then somebody is going to have to be willing to admit that they're wrong. And we are living in a generation of people who want to put the blame on everybody else. And we've been living in it some sort of a fantasy Christianity that has somehow imagined everything's okay. Oh, happy, clappy, lovey-dovey. Put your arms around one another. Let's all hold hands, sing kumbaya, wave some flags. Everything's just fine. And it's not fine. And we have got to be able to come to the point when we recognize we are in the wrong. God's people. Those who call themselves God's people, we are guilty. That's the first thing Moses does. The second thing he does is he takes their idol, their calf. Look what he does. He burns it in the fire, grounds it in powder, puts it on the water, and he makes them drink it down. That's a unique, strange thing to do, isn't it? What was he doing? Well, I believe one of the things he was doing was ensuring that calf was never coming back. 
Can I tell you something? If you and I believe and desire for God to move in our generation, you're going to have to put aside the idols that you have worshipped for, for all too long, put them aside in such a way they never have an opportunity to come back. Some of you have been worship, worshipping false gods for a long time. You say, oh, I don't worship anybody but the one true living God. But yet you've been worshipping the television and the mobile phone and Facebook and the news. You've been worshipping everything but the one true living God. And you ought to remove from as far from you as you possibly can every opportunity to come back to that idol. One brother mentioned recently, it's interesting how Moses made them drink it down so that the only, the only remnant of that idol that was left would be inside of them. It's interesting thought the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 6. He said, do you remember what he said? Except you eat my flesh and drink my blood. He spoke about taking him inside of you as being your life force. It's interesting. You oftentimes will take down your God. Perhaps Moses was trying to make a statement. Now, there's a problem. The root of the problem lies inside of you. The root of the problem lies inside of you. And if it's in you, it'll eventually come out. You see, uh, one of the dear sisters said this afternoon, the reason they were so quick to, to make a golden image was because a long time ago, long before they ever got to that point, they were already worshiping a false god. It just manifested the opportunity to create it. I'm worried about those who call themselves Christians who only give a couple of hours a week on a Sunday maybe. Makes them feel better about themselves and they like to wear the label when it's convenient, but there really is nothing Christian about their life at all. Maybe there's a golden calf in your life that needs to be taken care of because if you're not careful, you will lie to yourself imagining that you are on the Lord's side when you're not because you cannot serve two masters. You cannot bow down at the feet of a golden calf and also come to church on Sunday and pretend to bow down at the feet of God. There's a third thing he did. He signified the guiltiness of God's people. He took the calf, did away with it, and then he spoke to Aaron. Now, Aaron was the leader. He's spoken a little bit about this the last couple of weeks. Moses deals with the leadership. If there's going to be any forward progress today, then the leadership of the church has got to be purified. There are far too many charlatans behind the pulpit today. The pulpit needs desperately to be cleansed. Those three things, an acknowledging of sin, a destruction of false gods, and a purifying of the leadership. And then he asked this question, who was on the Lord's side? That's when he asked the question, there's a few verses that deals with Moses' conversation with Aaron, and it's quite laughable because Aaron talks about how the Gold was thrown into the fire, and then out came this calf. Just sort of came out. We read a few verses ago that he had used a graving tool. It didn't just come out. It's amazing how many Christian leaders today want to excuse themselves, blaming it on the people. But God puts the blame on the leadership. What's the big deal about this question, you might ask? What's the big deal about being on the Lord's side? Why is this so important? Isn't it enough that I call myself a Christian? Why do you have to prod and push any further? That's a little bit intrusive, don't you think? What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this, that God sees through your hypocrisy tonight. And very soon, the scriptures speak of a time 
that he will separate the sheep from the goats. You say, uh, this is an Old Testament thing now. You know, now we're living in the New Testament, the age of grace. Yes, my friend, but I remind you that the Lord Jesus warned us of this very same thing over and over. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 3, when John the Baptist came preaching. Do you remember what his words were? John the Baptist came and said, in verse number 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Speaking of Jesus. Whose fan is in his hand, and he will throughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John the Baptist was speaking about the work that Jesus was soon to do. His fan in his hand was not some sort of an oriental fan to fan himself because he was warm. His fan was a pitchfork, a winnowing fork that a farmer would use in that threshing floor. And they would toss up the wheat and the stalks of wheat. And every time that it was tossed in the air, the wheat would fall to the ground and the chaff would be blown away. It was a separating process. And John the Baptist said, you better hold on tight because there's one coming after me who's mightier than I. I'm not even worthy to unloose his shoe latchets. And when he comes, he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. Can I ask you tonight, if, if tonight were the night when Jesus should separate the wheat from the chaff, I'm talking about the real deal from the fluff. Whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? This is not just Old Testament as some would like to imagine. In Matthew chapter 7, the Lord Jesus further tells us, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. You, you don't understand. I, I said a prayer many years ago. I walked down the aisle. I, I know him. I've said he's my Lord and my Savior. And the Lord Jesus said, Not everybody who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. There's no point in you saying you're on the Lord's side whilst you bow down to the, to the golden calf. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? I've gone out to the city streets and I preached every single week and every single day. And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name have done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, but I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Can I ask you tonight, are you on the Lord's side? Matthew 25, the Lord Jesus further, just in case you have somehow been deceived in imagining that in the New Testament there's a different God. In Matthew 25 and verse 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. He shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. 
Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was and hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered or a thirst or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto thee? And then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say it unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Can I ask you this evening, are you on the Lord's side? You might say, this is a little bit too heavy. You know, I didn't come here for this, but I don't know why you came. This is the most weightiest matter on earth. And it's no good trying to sugarcoat it. It's no good trying to make it easier. It is the most sobering thought in humanity that one day we shall stand before God and he already knows whose side you're on. That day is quickly approaching. So perhaps tonight the question is, first, whose side are you on? And if tonight you find yourself on any other side besides the Lord's side, the next question is, what can be done? Can anything be done? Is, is that it? Because tonight I'm not on the Lord's side? Does that mean I'm, I'm finished? There's no hope? No, 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 there's hope. In our text, we find in verse number 30, it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, ye have sinned a great sin. And can I tell you, this is where it begins. It begins with you being willing to say, in the sight of a holy, all-knowing God, I have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. Can I tell you what needs to be done? Atonement needs to be made. Your sin must be dealt with. Now it's very interesting as you look at our text, listen to what Moses says to the Lord. He returns unto the Lord and says, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and they've made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto him, said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Would you look this way for a moment? Would you look here? Our sin has caused something that must happen. And let me tell you what must happen because of our sin. We must be blotted out of his book. Moses understood that somebody had to be blotted out of God's book. And so Moses said, Lord, blot me out. Don't, don't take them. Blot me out. But God said, I'm sorry, Moses. The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. I'm sorry, Moses. It doesn't work that way. 
The Apostle Paul said the same thing, didn't he? In Romans chapter 9. By the way, that's the heart of a pastor. That's the heart of a shepherd. In Romans 9, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. You might say, why don't you talk about something happy? Come on now. You've been heavy the last couple of weeks. Talk about something happy, please. But I feel like, Paul, I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Uh, for I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption. Paul said, I wish I were cursed. But can I tell you, it's not possible. I can't die for you, and I can't be blotted out for you so that you could go into heaven. I'm in the same boat you're in. And so was Moses, and so was Paul. And so you say, well, what's the point of this text? I'll tell you what the point of it is. It reveals to us the very heart of God. It's the heart of God that says, I would rather be blotted out myself than for my people to be blotted out. Moses and Paul could not take their brethren's place, but there is someone who can. Moses cannot take your place, and the Apostle Paul cannot take yours, and I can't take your place, but there is someone who can, and his name is Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes about this very same thing. In fact, we find it all through the Scriptures. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, listen to what Paul writes. For he, God, hath made him, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that's Jesus who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Do you know what happened? God allowed Jesus to take all of our sin upon himself so that we could have our sins blotted out the law says blot him out and the grace of God says no 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 blot his sin out through the Lord Jesus Christ Isaiah 53 that famous Old Testament prophecy of the coming Messiah tell, tells us the very same thing in verse number four surely he hath borne our griefs he's carried our sorrows Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. For he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes are we healed. This is the gospel. You see, God knew, Moses knew, anybody who gets anywhere near to God realizes that we must be blotted out of the book of God because of our sin. And God more willing than you and I, determined that there would be a way, a possibility, rather than blotting out the sinner, he would blot out the sin. And the only way that was possible was for the perfect Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Scriptures say he became a curse for us. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 13, the Scriptures say this, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. He became blotted out. He was, took our sin upon himself. And Peter writes of this in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. 
Would you look here for a moment? If you are not on the Lord's side, it is a matter of time before you are blotted out. Or, or, with the eye of faith, you look unto Jesus, who suffered for our sins, the just suffering for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Can I ask you this evening, have you looked unto Jesus? You will not find salvation in any other way. I'm trying to live a good Christian life. I'm, I'm, I'm walking a very narrow line. I'm trying to do everything I possibly can. And that got Israel nowhere but condemned. You can't do it. I hate to break it to you. As good as you may think you are, as self-righteous as you may think you are, your righteousness, your self-righteousness is disgusting in the eyes of God. And you need someone, a mediator, to take your place, to take the wrath of God for you. And the only one able to do that is Christ. I wonder this evening, are you looking unto him? You see, in, in the book of Exodus, Moses understood there was going to be a blotting out. And so he pleaded, Lord, take me. What a, what a symbol of that which was to come, the Lord Jesus, who would ultimately take our place. On that day, there were 3,000 who died. On that day, the sword was unleashed and 3,000 died. And can I tell you, when the Lord Jesus returns, if you're not on his side, there's going to be a great slaughter. I, don't, I do not say that with joy. I do not look forward to that. I'm telling you that because I want you to take note to see which side you're on. Very soon, that day will come. And you will not get, this is that warning cry. This is that cry that should make you take stock, that should make you sit up straight and say, hold on a moment, am I on the Lord's side? God's not going to come from heaven and stop midway in between and say, hold on, I'm going to give you just a few minutes to make sure you're right. This is that time. And everything in your flesh may hate this, but this may be your last chance to get on the Lord's side. And it won't be any doing of your own. You've tried so long. You've tried to act the part and say the right words and try to impress men with your Bible knowledge, but it's done nothing. Being on the Lord's side is an acceptance of the grace of Almighty God by faith looking unto Jesus. Righteousness of God being imputed unto you by faith. I wonder tonight whose side are you on? Moses said, who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered. They gathered themselves unto him. I wonder if tonight were the night that the Lord Jesus were to return and call us up and say, who's on the Lord's side? Are you ready? There will not be any time. This is your time. Oh, I'm going to wait a little bit now. You've got me all flustered. No, no, no. This is the time. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, now. I wonder who is on the Lord's side. I'm expecting the Lord Jesus to return. I hope you are. I don't know when. But I have my eyes open. I hope you do. I can't help but look around this world and think that things are moving quite quickly. 
and I want to be ready. I do not want to be caught as the people of Israel were caught playing games, singing and dancing in a drunken mess. I do not want to be caught like that when Jesus decides to come. So many in the Christian world are playing games tonight. Whose side are you on? Are you on the Lord's side? If not, tonight is the night. Will you come to the Savior? Will you come unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith? Him and Him alone, through Christ and Christ alone. That's the only way that your name is written and sealed in the Lamb's book of life, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we come before thee tonight and recognize that we've talked about very sobering thoughts, but we pray that thy spirit may use it. Perhaps even the uncomfortableness of the moment may cause some to look within and recognize that they're not on the Lord's side. After years of pretending, they're not on the Lord's side. Like many of thy children, the children of Israel on that day, they were not on the Lord's side. They were not on thy side. I pray that tonight there might be some whose eyes would be opened and they may, instead of being angry or upset or offended, they may humbly come before thee, acknowledge their sin against thee, acknowledge their guilt, deal with the idols that have kept them for so long away from thee. And may they by faith tonight turn their eye from off of something material unto the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee that there is someone who can die in our place and has died in our place that our sins may be blotted out. Save some soul tonight, we pray in Jesus Christ's name.